0: what's happening guys welcome to the JBS training group podcast my name is Mark Smith I am your host I own and operate JBS training group which is a firearms training company that travels the nation teaching guys what I know about shooting fast and accurate hope you enjoy this episode if you'd like to know more about JBS training group or where you can get in on a class you can visit www.jbstraininggroup.com enjoy the show What's happening, y'all? Uh, JBS Training Group podcast coming to you with a uh, an exclusive interview with Jim Hodge of Hodge Defense. Uh, this is really, really cool uh, that Jim has you know chosen and, and agreed to sit down with me and chit chat about rifle stuff and and his product and his vision and his brand. Um, for those of you that are unaware of uh, who Jim is, um, Jim has become a very good friend of mine over the past few years. Um, I shoot for Hodge Defense and have been doing so for about two years now, uh, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, not real sure. But Jim's rifles, um, and this is the AR-15 platform, they are the, what I believe to be the pinnacle of the conventional AR-15 style rifle. And when I say conventional, I mean like no piston systems, no weird stuff, no proprietary stuff outside of the metallurgy and the, you know, different materials, but just it's a, it's a standard AR-15 but it's so much more than a standard AR-15. Um, crazy smooth shooting guns, um, very very fast barrels, very long lasting barrels. Um, if you're new to JBS, uh, here recently we just shot out the first Hodge barrel that I've ever shot out at 42,000 rounds, um, which is extremely impressive. That was a majority of those rounds suppressed. And that's just fantastic. And and, in this episode, we just kind of sit down with Jim and say, "Hey, Jim, what in the world is Hodge Defense? Where are we going with this? Um, Why should people look at you? Uh, Why should they not look at you potentially?" Um, And just kind of to give a little bit of, a little bit of you know context to the mystery that is Jim Hodge. Um, So we appreciate the heck out of him coming on and doing this. And uh, without listening to a whole lot of me, I'm gonna turn it over. the uh the interview and let jim speak for himself Uh, jim how are you today sir
1: i'm doing pretty good and yourself
0: better than most for sure um far far better than i deserve uh if if you will uh guys if you don't know anything about um jim hodge he, he owns hodge defense and uh hodge is the the brand of rifles that i prefer to use for a number of various reasons but without me attempting to tell you who he is. Uh, I'm going to let him tell you who he is. So Jim, if you would, a little little intro from you. Uh who who are you?
1: Um hello people. Uh I started the company about well 10 years ago. February was, was its 10th anniversary. Uh started uh on the heels of uh doing some contracting work. Um and uh, been around carving for a, for a while professionally and um played in this industry for for longer than 10 years and as as you get older and fatter uh you tend to slow down a little bit and mama's like hey you've helped a lot of people out in this industry why don't you help yourself out and start your own thing and rather than chasing bad guys around the the planet chase me around the house and you can stay home so it sounded like a good deal to me uh again started the company ten years ago uh with the vision of making a carbine uh that I'd want to use not that I'm any better or any worse than anybody, but that I would really want to use and and um that's where Hodge Defense started.
0: And now your uh background it, are you you were an army guy or uh different branch or what?
1: You know, right place, right time, uh in the contracting world. Okay. Uh, and um worked with a bunch of those type of folk um but uh, yeah i did that for a number of years uh, from 2005 uh geez uh yeah 2005 to pass through 11 yeah 2011 into 12 and then 13 is when we started hodge defense
0: super cool Super cool. So, in in layman's terms, what what is it that you set out to do differently with the AR fifteen platform that you perceived was uh, either not being done or not being done well enough? Uh, what 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 did you want to do better? And and the desire to do it better did, did that come from experiences you had had, or just these these were just good idea fairies that showed up and and, and you know made you want to change some stuff?
1: Yeah, Mark. You know, doing it better. Better to whose standard? I just wanted to do a good job. I'm not trying to one-up anyone. I'm not trying to compete against ABC brand or anything like that. I just try to do the best I can. And hopefully, again, it's not a competition for me. People can be like, yeah, capitalism, this, that, and the other. But it really isn't, man. I just want to do a good job. Honest to God. That's all I, that's all I care about. It's just doing a good job, man. And... So, but I, I look at it through the lenses of, all right, what can I do different? I mean, I have to have market penetration and, and by, by doing so, what can I offer that's different? And, you know, when we first started off with the mod ones, just really kind of giving a crap every time you built a gun. I mean, I paid a lot for my parts cause I wasn't buying in high volumes and my receivers uh, were beautiful and, and everything worked well and got really lucky and started a brand and and I was off to the races. The next thing you know, I'm like, okay, what can I do now? Um, you know, my first guns were still hammer forged barrels. Uh you know, at the time I had uh I was working well with Daniel Defense. And when we first started, you know, I had a great relationship with Daniel Defense. Still do, still have a great relationship with Daniel Defense. And uh hell they even put Hodge defense under a website, uh, saying, Hey, for special projects. And after a while they took it down. Um, and, uh, FN picked me up and kind of did the same thing for FN, but, uh, you know, really cared about the quality of, of the materials. It's like, again, the hammer forged barrels, you know, make sure we're using, you know, 70, 75 impact extruded, uh, receiver extensions. And it was little things like that, that, to me made a difference uh maybe it made a difference to the consumer hell they probably didn't know a lot of it but maybe it did maybe it didn't
0: well that's the thing right a lot of a lot of people I, I don't think necessarily uh need the differences that it makes you know what i mean um True. there's a lot of dudes that that the 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 rail flex that they have holds no bearing whatsoever on what they're doing with the gun like they don't got a crap
1: no, no, yeah. I mean if you're running a light and that's all you're running, <laughs> you're never gonna notice it, man. And and maybe a lighter rail, I guess no pun intended with the light on it, but you know, a, a rail that weighs less may be an advantage to you because you're really not running, you know, night vision. And if you're not running night vision, no point in adding the weight and adding taking up the rail space with a laser. Sure. And if you're not running a laser Run whatever rail feels the the nicest, maybe stays the coolest uh, in your hand. Um, it's light, you know. Doesn't have a bunch of hard edges on it, and you know it. it there you go. It, you know, but, I, but I looked at rails differently, man. And not that I saw a discrepancy in flex. It was on my mind when we when we designed the wedge lock and I say we, cause mega machine, mega machine before Zed, before any of this, they designed, I know I, I, I knew I wanted an elongated barrel net. That's what I knew. And I wanted as much bearing surface in that thing as possible. And they designed the little tricky wedges in the wedge lock. Um, the wedge lock outer part is damn near hundred percent Jim Hodge. So the extrusion tool, they can't say two bucks. I didn't, I didn't write code for it. Engineer did that, but I had a, and I still do have a great working relationship with an engineer that, that can read my mind. And, and those are those dudes for a guy like me, who's a creative guy, not an engineer finding those guys that that can understand what you're thinking. And when you start drawing stuff up, uh, you know, on on napkins, the proverbial napkins and sending it over and saying, add this, add this, and add this. So he was the guy that understood that. So the wedge lock, the tire outside is hodge defense. Um, And that's where we started with the rail. So for the uh, people that, you know,
0: are, are, just now becoming privy to to the fact that hodge defense even exists because you know there's not a lot of talk about it outside of certain groups that kind of appreciate the the good stuff in life um some people i guarantee that are listening to this have never heard of hodge defense uh and you you mentioned mod one what what would you how do you describe the difference to a person that um doesn't know any better of what a mod one and a mod two is What, what what kind of differences are there between those things
1: simply uh, receivers um and then you know when 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 we do build full guns everyone's probably laughing at that um it's some of it is uh accessory but fire fire control selection it could be a trigger well it is oftentimes you know if i'm building a mod one full gun it's getting a cleaned up GI trigger. It's not getting an ambi mag release. Um, you know, it's not getting a C1 selector. It's getting, but it's still getting a Badger Universal selector. And, and it's getting an AR10 um, bolt catch and standard castle nut and end plate. Um, it's getting our Ford assist and still getting our pivot pins. But at the end of the day, it's, it's the receivers. It's the alloy in the receivers. It's, you know, it, it's the receivers.
0: So where did the idea for the Mod 2 come from? Like as far as wh- why, why did we decide to change the the metallurgy of the receivers?
1: So I was searching for something, you know. Uh, I, I sit back and I ponder, is 7075 good enough? And I'm going to tell everybody right now. 7075 is good enough. Is it the best? I don't know. Uh,
0: based, I, no. based on what parameter?
1: <laughs> based on what parameter, right? The same thing with hammer forged barrels and chrome line hammer forged barrels. Is it the best? You know, it depends what, what you need. And, you know, it may be the best for your application. Uh, I have seen, you know, you, right now you see a lot of guys putting steel inserts and cam path pockets, right? Look at SIG, some other good brands out there that are doing that. Um, you know what I mean, uh, Mark? You, you no, I don't those? know what
0: that means. What's a cam pad pocket?
1: So if you're looking inside the upper, if you if you take your Barrett bulk carrier group out, you look inside the upper, you get that little kind of crescent cutaway where the cam engages and disengages through the upper. So you'll see some companies put a steel insert in there. It's kind of a new thing to do. Those uh, cam pocket, you know, steel inserts. Right. Uh, you know, one of the things about the HK416 was it was a pretty violent recoiling system and, and it would wear the shit out of the, their upper receivers in two major places. But one of them was where that, as the bolt carrier comes back and that cam slams up against inside of that receiver it creates a gouge all receivers do it you're not going to wear out a receiver i mean eventually it's going to get to a point where it you wear into it and it's not going to wear anymore but long long and short of it um you know you take like a montu that's in c405 when we first started off in in aluminum lithium with a we we worked on that uh, for a while, man. It took a while uh, to get that right. And then uh, we switched to aluminum lithium because it was cheaper. I mean, I got the same. Actually, I I, I exceeded its toughness properties, but I got the same weight of 7075. But we take our C405 and, we're like, okay, we got a 40% add. And density of that alloy, well, then I don't need to put a steel liner in there, do I? And for the difference, the money difference it has, as far as the cost difference it has between creating, building, installing uh, a steel plate in there a bumper plate or whatever you want to call it. I don't know what the proper terminology is on it. Whatever. Whatever. Right. So, so it's stiffer. It does, it does lend to less wear. And there you go. And to me, an upper receiver has to be stiff. I think the upper receiver personally, um, is more critical than the lower receiver. But that's just me.
0: Well, then I do, too, because I'm sure I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's cool, man. Uh, there, There's a lot of questions that that people send in. We had uh, on the, the email subscriber list uh, a little box where they could send in questions to ask you and whatnot. And so I was going to hit on a couple of those. And I think a lot of at least some of those will segue into other uh, parts of conversation. So. Um, are you, uh, are you able to talk about some of the consulting work that you've done in the industry and, um, some things that you've helped with that people may not even know about?
1: Um, yeah, to a limited degree. Yeah.
0: So what would be something that you think people would recognize that you've had a a part in that, that that nobody
1: really knows? Barrett Imran. Oh, that's cool. You know, yes, I've been around this industry for more than 20 years. In one way, in some fashion or the other, not necessarily was as a consultant because I didn't. I never really, until recently, was never uh, monetized being a consultant.
0: I understand. There's another one here that kind of jumps off of that one. Um, says, could Jim please better explain uh, his relationship with Mike Mahowsky and how they met and eventually decided to c- collaborate together?
1: Uh. Yeah. So
0: for for those that are unaware, Mike Mahowski is the the uh face of Sons of Liberty Gunworks. He owns Sons of Liberty
1: Gunworks, uh if you've heard of those guys. Um I've met Mike. I think I made it a point to go visit Mike um when he first started off. And they were very, very small. Um and and he's pretty close to you,
0: right? Like he he's in the same town or, or area.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, he's in San Antonio. So yeah, good point. So I made a point to go visit him one day just for my own morbid curiosity. And, um, and I did, and that's really kind of how we met. We were, we, it wasn't like a chance meeting or anything like that. It was just kind of, again, how we met. Uh, I, I made the, I made the effort to go meet him and, um, and we talked guns and we talked strategy and, Hey, what are you doing here? And what are you doing here? And, uh, and there you go, you know, and, and basically it was, the relationship turned into, you know, bouncing, you know, uh, ideas and, and, uh, off each other, but, you know, talking about, you know, what's going on in the industry, talking about, supply chain management talking about you know the state of the industry um things like that uh we've helped him um with some relationships that he you know he didn't need the help he just needed because he's a smart guy both of them both Kyle and Mike are very smart guys um and they're doing very well they they build a lot more guns than me uh and good for 'em yeah, yeah good for them. but uh you know it, you know, creating, helping them with some relationships and, uh, or introducing them to the right folks to get them. I, I don't want to say better or worse, but, you know, get them in the product line that they have, which is, which is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that's that kind of relationship. Yes. You know, I do do some stuff with, and I have done some stuff for, sons of Liberty. Um, and it's, you know, they're Texas guys and they're young and they're hungry, which is, and their entrepreneurial spirit is awesome. Um, I, Hodge defenses is, is, is a different company, a very different company. Um, and we're, we're never going to make, we're never going to make the money that, that, that sons will, will make. Um, but we have a different vision on, on, you know, our, our offerings. Super.
0: So that, uh, again, segues into another question. Fellow asks, uh, what, what does the future look like for, uh, HDSI? Like where, where are we, where are we going?
1: Term wise, you know, where are we on terms, right? I mean, what's the future in a year? What's the future in two years? What's the future in 10 years? I mean, those are all, believe it or not, Mark, those are different, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So immediate future is, You know, we've got programs we're working on now, um, you know, that uh, that are solicitations, basically. And they're important. You know, they're meaningful. And being a small company, we have to put a lot of our resources into that. So getting those out of the way simultaneously, you know, I am working on a new rail. There are a couple projects we are working on that will enhance the Hodge defense lineup. There's one thing that's near and dear to me that has, it has something to do with, with carbines and and guns, but not in the way people think I'm, I'm stepping into more of a tech based manufacturing, not necessarily the way of manufacturing, but tech based product, I should say. So we're looking at doing some tech based products, uh, partnering up with some pretty good sized companies on those. Um, to fulfill a a capability gap. Um, Can't get too much into that because we're all under it. gang. And I am working on a a big major product uh, with again, two major, major companies that everyone would recognize um, that if it comes to fruition could really change the way people uh, think about this platform.
0: That's super cool what would you say you would view as the next big leap or or is there even a needed jump in the direction of the AR-15 platform? Would that be in the caliber arena, the materials, optics? Like where where do you think we can make the biggest uh, impact in the near future as far as just the industry as a whole?
1: Well, that's a really good question because there's so many more answers to that. if, If people can hit what they wanted to hit, as far as ability to hit, shit, we wouldn't need to change a damn thing. You think about it. Amen. You know, so I think, you know, an optical revolution uh, or an optical uh, uh, renaissance, I think we're going through it right now, or we're starting to go through it right now. Uh, As far as fire control, getting people on target, getting people more accurate, you're not going to do that with better material and better triggers and cooler rails. And you're going to do that with training and you do that to some degree in lieu of training, uh, and training space, you're going to do that in technology. Right? So I think that's where a huge leap is going to come. Um, you can have all your, you know, next gen, this, that, or the other, but if you don't know how to shoot the damn thing accurately, who cares? <laughs>
0: yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was talking to Alex Hartman the other night on a uh, primary and secondary modcast, and uh, we were chit-chatting. Uh, he was talking about Vortex's new uh, optic that has the laser rangefinder and the it'll apply the ballistic solving for you and all this. But he, he said, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're heading in the right direction. However, a, a great shooter behind a standard, Mill reticle system is still going to outrun that, uh, so we're not quite there yet because of the lag time and the the downtime between shooting that has to occur with a system like that. Uh, yep. And but I think it, I, as you said, I think it's a great uh, place to to be headed. Uh, it's it's very interesting. I never I never would have thought of anything like that. So um, that's a neat thing.
1: Well, I mean, people have been kicking you know fire control around for a long time. Hell, there was uh, some friends of mine working on something to be able to read wind um, shit back, damn, 13 years ago or so. Right. And this is on a scope. It reads dust particulate and shit like that. dude. And again, it's 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those, te- those technologies, again, they they improve exponentially they don't just take a little step here, a little step here, a little step here. Uh, they, they improve exponentially. Look at your, the damn devices we're, we're doing this podcast with. Right. Yep. But <clears throat> my point is is if you, if depending on the use, right, depending on the intended use of the M4 carbine, um, you know, the technology is going to make it more effective is the shooter's interface to the carbine, meaning it's the shooter's ability or your, again, to circle back around, you know, the, the optical ability to engage a target more effectively and more efficiently. Yeah. If you think about, you know, when you're shooting at a, a paper target or a pig or a deer or whatever, I mean, you're, you're all your inputs are coming through that glass, man. Agreed and so your mouth's super important things like that but and your gun's super important to be able to hit what you're aiming at but you know if you and i are sitting in a deer stand and we're looking at a dang deer you know 250 meters away and we're like hey yeah let's knock that thing down I and mean, your margin of error is pretty freaking huge correct on that you know, right or p- potential zombie or whatever right and um but I mean, if your glasses off for whatever reason, because the gun will probably do it, you know. Um, but if your glasses off, well, if you again if you don't have the proper fundamentals as well, that's again, that's technology, that's training, that's keeping it up with that. Hopefully that answers that question in a long, long way.
0: It, it surmises to say that it's not the one thing, right? Like there's there's a lot of different places we could go with with new uh things and I think at the at the end of the day, though, uh, the biggest one's always going to come back to the to the operator of the of the carbine. Because, um, like, we can, we can put we can put everything, we can give you all the right answers in the world, but if you suck at taking the test, man, it, it just ain't going to work. You know, th- there has to be something that that said about we we need some way to to figure out how to streamline better, more efficient training for everybody.
1: Well, for the, for the gunners like myself out there, you know, caliber is going to play a role. But as we go up in pressures and calibers, um, then you do have to pay attention to design and the types of uh, mater- materials used and yeah. uh, that type of thing. So, they I mean, those two are synonymous. They, they go hand in hand. I mean, you know, there are programs out there right now that the Army's looking at where, you know, we're looking at 70,000. 000- Psi at the chamber, and we all—it's like, man, dang, that's that's pretty. Can you imagine the bolt, thru- bolt thrust on that? That hammer jam will be breaking bolts like it's cool. Uh, if, but if you if you look at the bolt and say, hey, can we change the alloy in it? Yeah. Um. Again, as an example, but if you change the alloy in that, well, then you're going to probably have to change the alloy in your extension, so you don't get galling and change the temper but it it is uh they all are hand in hand For sure. um and i think eventually you're going to have to create something as an in between and we can talk about that later right
0: there has been, uh, this 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 question's from a fellow uh, uh, interested in railflex. He says, there's been some recent internet intrigue regarding railflex as it pertains to MFALs. Now, uh, if you're anything like me and you're listening to this, you have no idea what MFAL even is. So maybe Jim can speak to that. But uh, it says, can you discuss railflex as it pertains to the design, such as spine lock versus wedge lock versus monolithic and more importantly, the impact that that stuff has on aiming lasers and precision rifle applications. Like, why, why do we care?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you should care if you're running a laser. Right. And uh, you should care if it impacts, whether you're running a laser or not, uh, if it impacts your accuracy. So when you talk about rail flex, the rail itself i mean the extrusion the machine extrusion part dude dog that thing ain't flexing it's the lockup that is and it's the upper that is and it's the slot between the upper the relation between the upper and the lower and there's so many things that have to be taken in consideration on rail flex um is it important to you you know lots of great rails out there that that have more flex than others but you know, if you don't, if you're not driving a laser, or if you're not super loading it up on a bipod, and if it's just a short little thing with a light on it, who gives a damn, man? Again, choose the rail you want. Um, but the, when we when we first did the wedge lock, because the rail flexes, the reason why I wanted to go with a little bit longer barrel nut. And have as much bearing contact as we could to take that slop out. So the wedge lock was originally created as a 70-75 extrusion with a titanium barrel nut. And when we were working with, at the time, Alcoa, which is now Arconic, um, on extruding 7075. And it's very difficult to extrude. You can it doesn't extrude like 6061. if you if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, think of taking Play-Doh and pushing it through a shape. If if we have nice brand new Play-Doh that's moist and everything, you can push it through that shape and it gives you a nice star shape or a moon shape or a square or whatever. Uh, 7075 would be that hardened, crusty old, old ass Play-Doh. That you try to get through there, and it's just a lot harder to get through there, and it doesn't always come out as uniformed and as straight as you want it because the density of it. And um, so, at the time, we were there's only a couple places in America that can it can extrude seventy seventy five, and we were competing for whatever reason, and and I don't know if it was contract awards or whatever, but we were competing with uh, some major aerospace companies uh for extrusion time and especially those extruders that were pushing 7000 series alloys. So it's like okay, yeah, we'll we'll extrude 7000 series and uh but it's going to be 18 months. And you're like holy crap. So, I'm like okay, I got to build another rail. Well, it was great timing in the way that Uh, This is after we won the soldier enhancement program with the army. It was good timing. Um, I was working with FN and uh, they had already, FN was the first people to take the wedge lock, uh, have it extruded into 6,000 series and um, use it on their guns. Um, And, It is still expensive rail to make because of machine time. They're like, okay, we need another rail that's going to be more competitive and in pricing and just as stiff. Um, And I'm like, well, if I'm going to redo a rail that's not going to be 70-75, what am I going to do? And at the same time I was working with the Maneuver Center of Excellence over at Fort Benning, we were talking about a new rail for the M4A1 carbine, uh, that's a free float rail. So we, we, I started work, and the pinch lock was born. So I wanted a rail that was going to be more economical than the than the wedge, just as strong as the wedge, but in 6061. And again, pinch lock was made. Hell, I'd I'd even say pinch lock, an S locker probably way more stiff than than the wedge lock. Super cool. Um, so long and short of it, um, to answer your, your guys' question, rail flex has yeah, always been a consideration. The pinch lock was conceived with that in mind, uh, with that, that lock up. Uh, hell, it was conceived to be able to run a uh, 320 at the bottom of it as a free float rail. And the way it's config is, um, and we did it and we did it without it shifting, uh, again, to answer your guys' questions, um, all three of my rail designs have gone through tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars worth of testing, both an impact and drop and, and, uh, deflection, um, <laughs> the s-lock especially uh partially because they didn't capture data the first time they were testing a particular rail they had to redo the test entirely all over again with the same rail uh, to make sure it was captured on video and all this that and the other so the s-lock has has gone through that twice and we're talking you know dropping at six feet on a simulated weighted gun in the way of simulated. What I mean by that is magazine optic, you know, sling uh, laser, that type of thing, nine different angles onto concrete. So it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot.
0: And, and that, you know, I, I think that goes to uh, ex- ex- exacerbate even further the, the point of like, man, if, if if that kind of stuff isn't coming into play for you, then who who cares? You know, like it's it's totally okay to not have the 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 greatest thing ever, uh, all the time in every facet, right? I, I have guys ask me all the time on the internet, should I get a, a cold hammer forge chrome lined barrel? And the answer for most people is probably not. Uh, you, you don't really need that if you're not sure. Unless they're buying
1: them. a Hodge Defense one.
0: Correct. <laughs> um <laughs> but but i also think there's something to be said about knowing that that you've got the best thing there is right and i tell guys all the time man like do you need a cold hammer forged chrome line barrel well if you're not dumping ten thousand rounds a year uh you know or something like that or or more i I personally i don't i don't think you're going to see any kind of benefit from it however if it makes you sleep better at night knowing that you've got it then that's that's intrinsic value that that matters um so buy it if you want to you know, but don't be going around, <laughs> you know, bitching about people that did buy it because you didn't and, uh, you know, because certain, certain people require certain things and certain people just want certain things. And that's the beautiful thing about, uh, I think you mentioned it earlier, uh, capitalism allows us to do what we want to. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, there's a there's a personal one in here if you're uh, willing to, to go there with us. Um, fella says that on a uh interview you did with Recoil magazine a while back you had mentioned uh that you were a a follower of Christ and he wants to know what kind of role you know uh Jesus Christ plays in in Jim Hodge's life and in and in maybe even in Hodge defenses um uh, you know realm of things
1: well you know it is personal ladies and gentlemen he does play a role in my life um and i think i think about it every day. There are decisions that are made, um, that are, uh, I wouldn't say Christ based. It's just the right decisions to make. Um, cause I always, I don't always make the right decisions, but I try to make decisions as if I'm, you know, kind of being judged for them. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense to me. And, uh, and it, if it wasn't for my beautiful family and my wife, I probably, um, wouldn't be as close, but, uh, yeah, we're a spiritual family and, uh, I'm proud of it. And if anyone ever wants to talk to me about it, they can call me.
0: It's Always a good conversation. Um, I, I think there's something to be said about a man who, uh, truly does internalize, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working not for human masters, but, but for the one true king that, that makes you, that makes you try hard kind of bump up a little bit.
1: Well, I got a long ways before they allow me back into heaven. So right. <laughs> <laughs> super cool.
0: Um, and then, uh, I'm, I'm going to, uh, stop the, the questions from the, from the audience with this last one. Everybody wants to know what is, what is Jim's Hodge rifle setup? What barrel length? Um, you know what? What optic? What do you What are you typically going to when you're going to grab a gun? And I know that that that's a loaded question based on context of whatever it is we're doing, but just general, like Jim's going to throw a gun in the truck. What's
1: What's he taking? Depends on where I'm going. I hate to be an ass like that, but it depends on where I'm going, man. There's a tool for every job, and um, but the the one that you're going to get shot with when you break into my house. Is a twelve five, and it's um, it's a Franken gun. I think y'all have seen pictures of it. Maybe y'all have seen pictures of it. Um, it's it's a gun that. Um, oh man, my twelve five barrel shooting two minutes. All right, send it back. I'll get you a new one. And I get it and take it out and I shoot it and I'm like, God damn, this thing is. Accurate. I'm keeping it. (laughs) You know? And it wasn't shooting. So there's that barrel. Then, hey, there's a little blim on my rail. Okay, yeah, we'll take care of it. I get it, and I'm like, okay, there is a blim on the rail. No big deal. Hey, there's a scratch on my upper. Okay, we'll take care of it. I get it. I'm like, well, I'll put it on my gun. My gun is rejects and um there's there ain't a damn thing it's got a moon rock well it's machine gun lower but it's got a moon rock lower on it it's got a damn um matu uh tied ano upper with the scratch on it i don't know how it got there um it's got an s-lock it's got a uh, 12 out of five barrel. It's got a Econel gas block. It's got all the new Gucci shit in it. Um,
0: what is a, um, what is a moon rock lower for those who have not been around?
1: So <laughs> when we were working on aluminum, lithium um, Alcoa defense Alcoa was like um, a big forging house, like anchor Harvey or Cerro or Cardinal or whatever. Alcoa used to forge a lot of stuff and they still do forge a lot of stuff but they don't do AR stuff like they once did. And um, and again, I had a profound relationship with Alcoa defense at the time. Uh, shit, I was even mentioned in their literature. Um, and we were trying to forge receivers. And it's kind of like the lost art of building the the, the pyramid. There were guys that they had never forged AR receivers. Well, they hadn't done it in like a bazillion years. And uh, we're, it was like we were trying to redo it again. And Moon Rocks were a byproduct of, and I don't know if you guys know the forging process. It'll probably bore you to death. But nonetheless, they're going to take something about the size of a Coke can and put it in a rough die, and it's going to come down and slam it. And they're going to put it in a finished die. It's going to come down and slam it again. Which gets a near net shape, and they're going to put it in a flashing die, and it's going to cut all the shit off the side of it, all little squirty stuff off the side of it. But every time you go from die to die to die, you got to spray a release agent, and it's like a mist that you just spray on the alloys, and um, that it releases them from the dies. They don't stick. Um, well, if it's not atomized. Normally or properly, as far as the mist, um, that's where the moon rocks came in is where it wasn't atomized right? And the guys forgot to clean that shit off before they went to temper. And that's where the little divots came from was the release agent. Now, I know it's boring as hell for a lot of people, but man, shit, we've looked at that problem for like six months trying to figure that out. <laughs> And when I'm talking engineers. I mean, I'm talking about a team of engineers for the you know the world's largest and America's largest alloy aluminum company that's been forging stuff for, you know, everyone. And um, so that's where the moon rocks came from. Super. Yeah.
0: I had uh, I had the opportunity to a long time ago before uh, Mark Smith was anybody that anybody cared about other than his mama. Um, I had an opportunity to, to purchase a Moonrock lower, and uh, I actually uh, didn't have the, the money that the fellow wanted. Uh, and I ended up telling a friend of mine about it, and he ended up buying it, and he actually has that lower to this day. Um, I think you know Andrew Ryder,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: yeah, Andrew's got that that lower. Um, pretty, pretty neat uh, how everything kind of comes full circle. But um, that's super cool, man.
1: That was my first attempt that I screwed up royally. Not only say I screwed up, the team screwed up. We just, we never went to market with them. And the ones that I had left over, I sent them to to friends. And because they understood the show, right? It was like the Moonrock, in a lot of ways, why I'm so partial to it. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of, you know, humility, Ain't nothing wrong with it. Just looks like shit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think that's uh, I I'm glad you said that, man. I think that's a part of um Hodge Defense and who who Jim is at his core that a lot of people don't get a taste of. I it, it, you know, it's it's really easy when you have lots of people that are interested in your stuff and and that follow you and all that you kind of become this this internet personality and it's and, and people forget that
1: dog i ain't no internet personality i mean for christ's sakes, i'm never on there pr- practically anymore
0: but you are is what i'm saying and like that's what i mean like everybody kind of forgets that at the end of the day like we're we we, we pee just like everybody else man like we, we just uh, oh, for uh, sure normal yeah. dudes and and honestly if, we, if we're if we're all kind of being honest the vast majority of of things that we do well we kind of like it was sort of a blessing, man. Like it, it, we kind of lucked into it. <laughs> we're not, we're not like these amazing, brilliant, superhuman people. We're just, we're just regular dudes oh, no. that, uh, that work hard and, and kind of, you know, ha- had some good opportunities.
1: Absolutely, man. Um, I pick my nose just the same as everybody else. Right. And, um, if you've ever talked to me, um, I do generally try to be as nice as I can to people. Because I do care what people think of me because we all have our insecurities, um, you know, and, you know, I've got mine, you've got yours, everyone listening has got theirs. Um, and I care. I care what people think.
0: I, I think it shows to the, dis, to the discerning uh, end user, it, it, it does show. Uh, it, it matters, right?
1: We haven't talked about barrels yet. We haven't talked about a lot of shit. There's some things that I want people to understand. One of them is the amount of testing and effort has gone into our stuff. And we're talking about testing, not just sitting on a, you know, grabbing a bunch of dudes and sitting on a bench. I'm talking about testing with like engineers and software um, that on stuff that we've created, not in just, again, the realm of, Hey, let's go pick this thing up and I'm going to chuck it across the yard and video it and, or run it over with the tractor trailer and this, that, and the other. No, man, no, no, no. We we're, we're talking Instrumental testing, we're talking uh, engineering testing, uh, we're talking spending a lot of money and, and rounds and labor and engineering time to flex our stuff. Um, what does that mean to you guys? Uh, well, scientifically and from a data perspective, it means we've done our homework and we fix things along the way. I will tell you, things do get by. I will tell you, we don't make the most perfect stuff. We just make the stuff that I like, and and hopefully you like the same, right? It's my version of of the pizza the way I like to dress it, and um, hope you like it. But it's just we're not just one of those companies, and and, and again, when you're dealing with major companies, you're going to get all the fringe benefits of the testing and the engineering support. The professional support, that's just not your opinion, right, from a from a designer perspective. But there's a lot of smaller companies that can't afford that. And I'm a smaller company. And I've been really blessed to partner with some larger companies that gave a shit. And that there's a lot of people that use my IP. And, and I'm super blessed for that. And thank you, everyone, that does that. I, I very much appreciate it. And so does my daughter's college education. So at the end of the day, we are a small company, but we're not a company that hasn't designed and developed things from a, the best way for me to describe it from a lab coat engineer perspective, you know, we've done it professionally guys. And, um, If you like it, you like it. Look at the barrels. I mean, the amount of money we spend on ammo, and I say we collectively, the people who have tested it, third party tested it as well, um, on barrels is insane. You know, we build a barrel that will go a bazillion rounds. But if you think about it, if I've got, if I give you a, I say I give you, you buy a Hodge Defense barrel. And it lasts, you know, 40,000 rounds. What was, the, what was the highest round count you got on one of my barrels, Mark?
0: 42,000.
1: How much money do you think that cost you?
0: A, a lot. I, I don't know. Um, I, I would say likely uh, I could sit down and come up with a number, but that's, you know, at, at close to $300 to $400 a case times 42. That's that's significant.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's you can buy used cars with, with what you fed that gun that you'll never ever get back other than the experience and training. Right. And you have to decide, well, I mean, that's how I looked at it. That's how I, I looked at it in the way that I wanted to build a a longer lasting gobstopper. Well, number one for alpha one, but number two, um, something that you're not going to have to repurchase. And and our barrels are expensive uh, and they're expensive for a reason. They cost me a lot. I'm just not, making a lot of money, but we go through an extra step in the process that people don't, they, they'll go through one version of that step, but we go through another version of that step. And that's proprietary, so I'm not going to get into what it is. But at the end of the day, we disrupt a whole line of assembly. And for us to do that, it costs the money, it costs the company that's making our barrels money because we, we're a disruption in the line. But FN also licenses my barrels from me, even though they make them for me. And, uh, again, when you buy a barrel, it's 400 bucks. I get it. You can buy two barrels of something else. Well, it's going to last twice as long, if not longer. And how much money are you going to spend burning it down where you're going to do that with uh, a, a great barrel that may not just last as long. Although you're still going to have to replace it or you're just going to throw away at the upper. Uh, probably not going to do that. You're going to have to pay someone to replace your barrel or you're going to do it yourself. and What's your time and labor worth? Um, so that's how I look at my barrels. Um, and I'm not saying, I mean, I'll never tell you guys my stuff is the best. I'll never tell you, tell that to you. Again, it's its up to you what you what you think it is. And a lot of great companies out there doing a lot of wonderful things, building a lot of great guns.
0: Would you think? Would, would it be safe to say that if a fella uh, bought a a Hodge barrel, they would have the majority of the magic that is Hodge Defense?
1: Yeah. Well, they'll have a majority of dollars spent in testing.
0: That's that's the meat and potatoes of the of the brand, though, right? Would it be safe to say that?
1: No, I think it's the I think the brand is. I don't I don't believe that the brand is its product I think the brand is more than a product
0: well right right and I you know I I mean in terms of like I I want a hodge defense but I can't find one to buy and I can't uh, or I can't afford one to buy like the the barrel would be the choice to make if if that's where you're at and you wanted uh, the majority of the performance that the, the product offers.
1: Yes. If that barrels, what is important to you and you understand going into that barrel, that barrel is not gassed or, you know, it's chambered in a five, five, six NATO chambering, but it's gassed for five, five, six NATO pressures. If you plan on shooting, you know, wolf, uh, steel case, whatever, I ain't going to cycle that well. It's not made for it. Um, But if, if you, if you are going to run the barrel for its intended purpose, and that's why you buy a Hodge Defense product is you're going to run it for its intended purpose. Yeah. Buy five of them. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but again, you know, we, we don't, our stuff is not for everybody and that's, that's okay. And, and, uh, if it's not, and you want to ask me a question where else to get something? Be happy to point you in the right direction.
0: Super. Super. Well, is there anything else you would like to hit on, sir, before we close this out?
1: Um, no, I think we're good, Mark.
0: So, man, I I just I I appreciate the heck out of you uh coming on here and taking time out of your day. I know you're super busy, um, as am I and most people in 2023. Um, world's kind of getting back into gear and and it's it it really does mean a lot. I, I can I can pay you and i can do all this different stuff i can use your stuff and, and but i can't give you back your time um which i think is pretty invaluable so i really really do appreciate it
1: mark i really appreciate you as well i know you're busy i appreciate you 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 shooting our stuff i know you pay for a lot of our stuff this is your decision you know we don't pay you and i appreciate you having a belief in the brand
0: yeah i um uh... I've constantly said that if I, if I didn't shoot for Hodge, I would still shoot for shoot Hodge. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that, that, that matters. Um, so all in all, man, that's, uh, that's super cool. Again, I appreciate you coming on and, and chit chatting with us. Um, and I, uh, hope to talk to you very soon. And I'm pretty excited about, uh, some things that are coming down the pipe. So, uh, if that's all you got, then we'll close out with that. All right, buddy. Good hearing your voice. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I appreciate Jim coming on, uh, as I'm sure uh, all of you do as well. If you want to know more about Hodge Defense, uh, you can go to hodgedefense.com and just kind of read up on what's there. You can also look for his products at places like Big Tech's Ordnance, Weapon Outfitters, OP Tactical, and uh, other places like that. Um, Enjoy the hunt, and uh, good luck on procuring one of these fantastic machines. Thanks, guys. (laughs) All right, guys, that's the show for the day. As always, if you'd like to know more, you can visit us at www.jbstraininggroup.com. If you'd like to get in on a class, you can check the roster and the schedule, which is always changing. If you'd like to host a class, you can hit me up at jbstraininggroup at gmail.com. I appreciate the heck out of you guys. Make sure you talk to Jesus today, and we'll see you all on the range.